Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Rosalind D. Abbott. Uh, she's a professor at Carnegie Mellon University, and we're going to be talking about tissue engineering of fat. It's going to be very interesting. She uh, runs the Abbott Lab, and we're going to talk about uh, her work there. So, Rosalind, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. Well, tell me about uh, you know the lab and what what brought you to this path? What made you decide to study what you're studying? And then we'll go into more stuff from there. Okay. Uh, yeah, sounds good. Um, yeah, so, so I started CMU last August, so my lab's a little bit young. Um, and we've been working on engineering fat in the lab, uh, which might sound weird. I get asked a lot, don't we have enough fat? Um, but actually a major challenge for designing drug therapeutics is that our current understanding of human disease mechanisms is based solely on animal models or really simplified cell culture models. Uh, in particular, fat or adipose tissue has long been thought of as this like passive organ that only purpose is to store energy um, or to insulate, protect the body. Uh, but recent work has demonstrated that it has uh, more dynamic roles, releasing factors that affect other organs in healthy and diseased states, uh, which is why obesity is really a high-risk factor for so many other diseases. Um, so more research is really required to determine how fat or adipose tissue is communicating with the rest of the body. Um, we also need more yeah, so what are, to um, what factors. Okay. Cause those. Yeah. yeah. What, are, what are some of the surprising things that you've learned about uh, fat tissue that people have misconceptions about? Um, well, yeah, other other than the fact that they kind of, it's this dynamic role um, releasing factors. What have you learned about fat that, you know, a lot of people have misconceptions about? Like, again, most people think it's just tissue that sits in your body and stores energy, but what have you found that it does instead? What's different about it? Um, so, so really fat uh, communicates with other tissues uh, and it releases mm-hmm. factors uh, that communicate with those other tissues. Um, so these factors can, for instance, be inflammation. So in the case of obesity, um, you're in a, car- a chronic state of inflammation that causes stress on the rest of your body. Um, other factors that we kind of look at are these things called obesogens, which uh, a lot of people don't really know that word. Um, it's these chemicals that actually um, predispose patients to gain excess weight. So we're exposed to them and they kind of alter our set point um, of where our metabolism is. Um, so our lab was one of the first to kind of show that um, BPS, which is uh, very similar to PPA, which is a known obesogen found in food and, and drink packaging, um, is also an obesogen. So that's the one that they kind of substituted all these BPA-free plastics with. Um, so it also has these kind of um, altered set points uh, that people um, you know, Wait, so um, BPA, BPA is bisphenol A, and that was found to be what, a uh, carcinogen or a mutagen? And what was the problem with Sorry, BPA? And then let's talk about BPS. But, but BPA, was it, well, what was the problem with BPA? I know that it was in baby products, and it was, uh, now it's not. But what, what was the problem with BPA, first of all? Yeah, so BPA is an, and they call it an endocrine disruptor. So um, it has large effects all over the body. Um, what we look at is how it affects your metabolism, but yeah, it has a lot of other factors, you know, that um, affect yeah, the babies at different developmental stages and how their neurological systems develop and, you know, even adults at later stages too. 
Um, so it's got a lot of really um, powerful effects on on humans. So bisphenol A now has changed to bisphenol S, or what does BPS stand for? Yes. Yeah, so the, it's just a, a slightly different chemical analog of, of BPA, but yeah, so those are what the BPA-free, most of the BPA-free packaging is made out of. So does BPS disrupt the human body in the same way as BPA? You said it was called an obesogen. Was BPA yeah. an obesogen, or is this different? Um, yeah, so it does have similar effects. I don't know if it has all of the same effects as BPA, because um, we've really just looked at it in the context of obesity and adipose tissue accumulation. But um, yeah, it does suggest that it might have similar effects. So when you consume a drink in a, you know, like a plastic package, I guess you ingest some of the BPS, and then what does it do to your body? Um, well, the, the problem with a lot of these chemicals is that they um, are um, they're, they're lipophilic, so they're actually um, predisposed to kind of accumulate in your adipose tissue. Um, and so they kind of stick around for a while and can have effects. And what they do is they really act as hormonetics, um, which hormones are one of the ways that our body uses to communicate um, endocrine disruption. So basically they kind of stick around and act like um, these hormones do. So they kind of change the way our metabolism works. Oh, so, so All right. So they act in the same method as hormones. And what does is, what is BPS in particular do? Like how does it cause obesity or how does it predispose the body towards obesity? Yeah, so it, it stimulates the cells to um, accumulate more lipids. Um, so in if, in the same caloric intake, um, a person that's been, had this exposure will accumulate more of the, the fat from it. So it doesn't necessarily cause obesity. It just makes you more predisposed to accumulate adipose tissue. Um, so given the same kind of uh, diet, then you'll be more likely to gain more weight. Um, well, how does it predispose actually, you? Like what, like what have you learned um, about how of, the body decides whether to, to turn a, to a food source more into fat? fat? Yeah, so um, there's, a, there's a lot of different regulatory um, mechanisms, and we know, you know just a few of them, actually. Um, but basically, it's just kind of programming the cells to, to accumulate triglycerides, um, which is actually the the molecule that is stored in your adipose tissue. So for some reason, it changed. you said the body has a set point. You alluded to that earlier. Can you talk more about that and how that affects uh, people's weight and, and how diet affects them because of the set point? What happens? Yeah, so I think there we're still starting to we're still learning a lot about this set point and there's a lot of different factors um that affect it. So um your genetics for instance, whether you've been exposed to some of these environmental factors um and certainly other things as well. So I think we're still learning what actually causes this set point and that's actually a big focus of what my lab does. Um so we create these tissue engineered models so that we can start looking at these factors and see if we can determine, you know, did does smoking affect uh, how we accumulate tissue, adipose tissue? We think it does, but, uh, you know, is that something that we can look at? Or are there other factors, you know, um, whether you exercise a lot or um, other lifestyle factors as well? So it's kind of a, a bigger picture, and we're hoping that with using these tissue engineered models in the lab that we can actually start to figure out and tease out what this kind of combined picture looks like. So um, what's the consequence of the set point? I'm interested. What, what will happen is the set point... Um, you know, let's say I eat like a, I don't know, a meal that would normally be, I don't know, all stored as fat. Well, the body, just because of a set point, at some point, uh, stops storing, you know, a food source as fat. But it'll, it, it, it's a hard question to ask. Um, what does the set point look like? Yeah, what does the set point look like in action? Like, I'm, everyone has yeah. a set point, I'm sure. So what, what right. happens to the body when, it, before it hits the set point, 
when it hits it and then after it hits it? What, what goes on like metabolically, do you think? Yeah, yeah. So I think when, when I'm thinking about a set point, um, so I can give you kind of going back to the obesogen example, um, you know, they exposed the mothers of, of, of mice to um, BPA or TBT. TBT is one of the bigger ones. That's a, a pesticide. Um, and so the, the pups, they were exposed to the same diet. Um, and the ones that had been exposed in utero, which is a developmental stage or in the, sorry, in the mother's womb, um, they gained more weight in response to the amount of calories that they took in. So they were given the same amount as the, the pups that were not, that were not exposed. And so they just accumulated more weight. And so that's what I'm kind of talking about with a set point. Um, it's the ability to kind of accumulate more adipose tissue with the same um, caloric intake. And so it's not necessarily, um, you know, before the set point or at the set point or another. It's just kind of how your body responds to those calories. That makes well, sense. What do you think, um, what feedback mechanism do you think um, lets the body know, okay, we reached the, uh, the energy state we want to reach. Now change how you utilize a food source. That's a great question. Um, I don't know if we, we necessarily know how it kind of regulates that. And so I think that's something that we're, we're trying to work a little bit more on. Is, is there a way to empirically test and determine someone's set point? And, you know, like what units would you express a set point in if you could find such a thing? <laughs> um, probably energy, I would think. Um, yeah, if I could express something like that. Um, yeah. And how could you test for it? I guess it's harder to do in humans. Um, but, uh, you know, it's cause you, you can't kind of, well, I mean, I guess they have done some studies where they've looked at like forcing people to have the same amount of calories and, and what that kind of does to them. Um, but it's not necessarily something that you would want to do ethically. Um, yeah. So I think that would kind of be the best way to determine it. But what we're hoping to do is because we have these tissue engineered constructs that we have in the lab, um, that we could test it that way. And so you could get a small sample of adipose tissue and, you know, try to determine its set point, try to determine what it responds to, because we all are very metabolically different. Um, and so I've seen that in my cell cultures, and it's been something that at some point has been very frustrating um, because it shows really variable results um, between different patients. Um, and so, you know, given the same kind of factors, they'll respond differently. And so I'm hoping that our models can be used to look at these kind of different factors and set points and, and things like that in the future. When you, when you have a tissue sample, you know, how many cells is the sample and have you been able to look at the behavior of individual cells or do you have to look at them as a group and therefore it's harder to figure out, you know, what's going on? Yeah, the, the, so you can look at them in smaller volumes, but then it's harder to extract a lot of data from them. So we usually do do aggregates. Um, we'll have in one, like, usually like we, we do these kind of round scaffolds, um, two millimeters thick by like four millimeters in diameter. Um, little cylinders. And so in there, we'll probably have about 100,000 cells. Uh, and that's kind of what we use for our, our different assays or kind of measurement points. Um, but you certainly can do yeah, some at the cells. cellular level, um, but then you don't get as much data out of it. Do you think that the, um, the fat cells uh, are communicating with the other tissues in the body? I mean, I guess they are chemically, right? They're, they're sending, yeah, they're, definitely. they have receptors and they send out signals once they're, uh, they take right. in an element of food. I mean, what, you know, what me mechanistically, what's going on when you, you know, when you consume food in your body? What are the factors yeah. doing? What are they getting? Right. Yeah. So there are these uh, different factors 
um, that are secreted that, that do work systemically. So they travel throughout your, your body and some of them tell you that you're, you're hungry or some tell you that you're full. And so as you're eating, these different factors will say, oh, you know, we've actually got enough calories, you know, you're full now. And so that's just a molecule actually that your body will secrete and it starts actually in the adipose tissue. Um, and then over time, kind of as you're fasting, um, you know, between meals, uh, or, you know, even longer than that, you know, your body starts burning these calories. And so other factors are secreted to know that you're hungry and that you should kind of, you know, eat something so that you can replace those calories. Uh, in the fat tissue, they're, they're stored in triglycerides. And so um, the body knows that as it's eating, you know, it should store um, in these adipocytes, these triglycerides. And then and during these periods of fasting, it's a process called lipolysis so that those triglycerides are broken down into free fatty acids. And those are kind of what power your muscles and everything else um, during these periods of, of fasting, I guess. So what does, it look, what does a, a fat cell look like? You call it an adipocyte or an adipocyte, right? Yes. Yes, an adipocyte. Yeah, they're these big round uh, cells. Um, so they're actually almost 90% um, filled with lipids for those triglycerides. So like in the cytoplasm of the cell, you've got, I guess, the nucleus and the mitochondria and all the other stuff. But you're saying the vast majority of the cytoplasm has what, like globules of uh, a triglyceride yeah. in it? Or what does it look like? Yeah, it's, uh, they call it a unilocular lipid droplet because it's just one large lipid droplet. So if you can picture a cell being, you know, a circle and it does pretty much look like that, maybe more of an oval, um, then it's got this big round oval inside of it um, that's, that takes up most of, yeah, the cytoplasm and that's the lipid droplet. Weird. So, I mean, what about the nucleus? The nucleus sits sits to the side of it or it doesn't, it doesn't yeah, know the nucleus? Yeah, it sits to the it? side of it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, more like kind of like a crescent almost. Well, yeah, it's, it's a pretty funny looking that, cell. <laughs> well, that would suggest that within the globule, that it has its own microenvironment. I mean, doesn't it affect how things move about in the cytoplasm? And you know, let's say it takes up a large percentage of the of the volume inside mm-hmm. the cell. I mean, the the yeah. cell membrane that abuts that area, I would think, would be affected, and the transport of things within right. the cytoplasm, and just and again, it would create its own microenvironment. Oh, definitely, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a very unique environment. Um, yeah, and that's why I was talking about some of these molecules that are more lipophilic, which just kind of means, uh, you know, they like uh, uh, kind of being in the fat, you know. So they've, you've got all these fat cells and you've got these chemicals that are kind of happy to be there. Well, have you opened up any of these globules and, and does it have a, is it uniform throughout the, the volume of the globule or does it have a structure to it? Are there different things present in the outside of it or the inside of it, the center? Yeah, um, I haven't myself, but other people have. You know, they've looked at the proteins that surround the the lipid droplet, um, and yeah, there's very specific proteins that kind of keep it intact um, that, and regulate it so that it it can you know change and secrete you know those or go through that process of lipolysis where the free fatty acids are secreted. Um, yeah, so it's tightly regulated for sure. Well, what happens in lipolysis is like a is like a hunk of the globule. I don't know put out through the cell wall or is it changed within the cell itself into fatty acids? Like what, what happens? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it breaks down into free fatty acids and glycerol. And so both of those are actually secreted. Um, so, so yeah, it basically takes that triglyceride and kind of takes the backbone of it. And yeah, so it's, it's got these two new proteins that are then secreted and can go other places in the body and, and uh, provide energy. So do you consume the entire, um, do you consume the entire globule or parts of it be consumed? 
No, right. just parts of it no. would be. Yeah, so it would still remain. Hmm. Yeah, actually, uh, adipocytes can last for up to 10 years in the body, so they're real slow turnover as opposed to some other cells that can you know, last only a few days or they stick around. Hmm. That's interesting. What's, what's the consequence of them then that uh, adipocytes are so long-lived and they have uh, you know, this triglyceride globules stored inside of them? I mean, anything that, that jumps out at you that you find is interesting or different? Yeah, so, you know, we talk about kind of these these obesogens or these other chemicals that, you know, are listing changes. And so you can imagine if they're persistent and they're sticking around these cells that are also persistent, then their actions can kind of occur more long term. So um, that's still research that we're looking into, but I have a feeling that that's kind of related. Um, yeah, this kind of memory almost of these exposures. Yeah, so once say um, if you have an adipocyte and let's say most or all of its, um, you know, triglyceride globules used up, you're saying that it, it, you believe it has a memory that it will tend to reaccumulate preferentially a similar size globule or, you know, what will it do? What's the memory component to? Uh, oh, so, so just that they're, sorry, when I was talking about memory, I meant, you know, like the chemical would kind of be there as the, the memory um, of the cell. But yeah, I, I do think they are all about the same size. Um, but you know they can they, that obviously changes with caloric intake as well. Because um, so when we get these tissues and we look at the cells, they are pretty uniform. I mean, there's obviously variation, but um, of of how they've accumulated lipids. Um, but that will definitely be really dynamic as the person maybe gains or loses weight. Uh, the cell size will also change. Do these cells tend to cycle their uh, triglyceride globules, or they sit there sometimes for months or years, the same substance never moving? Um, I think they cycle them. Um, yeah, it's a pretty dynamic process, and the cells do move around too. Um, you know, they're not just kind of sitting in one spot as well. So yeah, it's a, it's a dynamic organ for sure. Hmm. Yeah, it's just so odd. <laughs> I, that's why I'm asking so many questions because you know yeah. I just never really <laughs> thought about it before, but now that I do, it's just a very strange, uh, strange thing, you know. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a really interesting organ system for sure. Um, I think it's kind of understudied, and so that's why I think it's important to do a lot of this work. You're saying it, it, it you refer to it as an organ system, so a group of adipocytes, I would guess they communicate with each other and they form an organ system? They're not just independent yeah, cells yeah, sitting def- there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, so yeah, we talk about the adipocytes, but there's also other cells there. Um, I'm sure you've heard of um, adipose-derived stem cells. Um, so those are kind of mixed in between all of these like larger mature adipocytes, um, and they're usually next to what you call we call the stromal vascular fraction. So um, the blood supply basically um, that is providing kind of this this communication um, with the rest of the body. So you've got stem cells and you've got neurons right there. So it's um, it's innervated. You've got um, other stem other uh, cells that are kind of supporting that vasculature that are more like uh, uh, muscle cells, um, and then, yeah, of course, you've got the vasculature. So, yeah, it's this organ system that's um, got both adipocytes and then also, you know, that blood supply as well. So what, what do you see as the goals of this um, of this organ, the fat organ? What does it do? Is I've, I've heard it, like, produces estrogen and other substances in the body. Like, what have you observed it to do, and how does it act in concert with itself? Yeah, so I, I guess what we look at is um, trying to use it to study uh, the transition of obesity to type 2 diabetes. Um, and so how this expansion in this adipose tissue is related to these uh, large systemic changes in the body and, you know, other diseases for sure. 
Um, it, it has big effects on, you know, obesity has big effects on like cardiovascular disease and even some cancers. Um, so we kind of look at how, as this is expanding and changing, um, what factors are being secreted, what's happening um, in order to cause all these other changes that occur throughout your body. And, you know, we talked about those chemical communications. So what is, what is it communicating with the rest of the body that's causing all these problems? Um, and one of the ways that we think it happens that um, effect is through inflammation. Um, and so that's kind of what we've been looking at in the lab as opposed to kind of other, these other chemical exposures um, to see if we can kind of figure out a target for maybe some better anti um, diabetic drugs or trying to make people more insulin responsive. So what, are, what have you noticed when someone gains weight, what happens? Do Are more adipocytes created from the adipocytic stem cells or do the existing ones seem to they just take on more triglyceride until they hit like a size threshold or what happens? Yeah, yeah. So it's both actually. Yeah, you, you are absolutely right. Um, so more of those stem cells are recruited and then also the size of the cells increases. Um, so both of these factors actually cause um, the body to then become this chronic inflamed state um, that actually lasts the entire time you're obese. And it is reversible um, if you lose weight. Um, so so that's probably, and that's what most people think is really related to this um, change into this more insulin-resistant diabetic phenotype, a type 2 diabetes. Well, what happens if you deplete a given set of population of adipocytes of their uh their triglyceride globules, do they ever deplete to nothing or they only get to a certain small size that stops and what happens then? Yeah, they can, yeah, they can, they can completely empty. Yeah. And then they kind of go back to the state of um, the stem cells um, if they were totally depleted. Yeah. We see that in the lab. Um, hmm. If you, if you culture, if you take a adipocytes and you do something called a ceiling culture, so they kind of float to the top and stick to the top of the flask, um, they'll kind of deflate and lose all their lipids and then they look a lot like stem cells. Uh, and they behave a lot like stem cells, too. You said that some of them last for years. Have you seen um, any correlation between the amount of triglyceride that a population of cells holds and the length of time in which it'll keep itself alive? Oh, interesting. I, I have not seen anything related to that, but that's a very good question. Um, I, I would imagine, yeah, that probably is somewhat related. Um, but, yeah, I wouldn't be able to tell you for sure. So, so you, you have populations of these... Uh, adipocytes and you know what kind of experiments are you running are you stressing them chemically are you uh, like what are you doing to cause them to evoke different behaviors yeah so we we do definitely um, stress them chemically so you, there's inflammatory factors uh, that we can add you can add inflammatory cells themselves uh, to the cultures as well um, you can just kind of look at tracking a whole bunch of different patients and seeing if they how they respond to different factors um, which is something that we're working on um, and then, and then, yeah, you can treat them with the different factors that you suspect are going to be related to, um, to these obesogens. Because uh, right now it's a, a really young field, and it's only been like since 2006, I think, that um, people have even started to look at these. So there's a lot to be learned, I think. Have you have you had, uh, let's say, two populations that are spatially segregated? You know, I'm sure in their world, you know, an inch is a lot. Um, but they're the same solution, and have you tried to stress one of the populations and see if the other reacts and changes? Oh, you know, interesting. See if there's communication? Um, no, we haven't done th that kind of uh, experiment, but sometimes you can do um, experiments we've, or we've done with different tissue systems, um, so having, like, the fat and, I don't know, putting some other tissue on top of it. 
um, are in the same well and then seeing what kind of factors um, are being communicated between them. Um, that's definitely something that we're interested in working on. Um, we've actually started creating uh, these perfusion systems that we're hoping to integrate with some other collaborators to try to get more of these systemic effects. So whether it's, you know, the, the liver or the pancreas, which are also um, involved in type 2 diabetes and see how the adipose tissue is communicating with these other two um, you know, organ systems as well is something that we're working on. Yeah, and, and are there different types of adipocytes? Like, you know, like I'm overweight, for instance, so the fat I have in my stomach or around my stomach, is that different from the fat in my leg or in my upper yes. torso, you know, my arm? Yeah. How is it different? Yes. Right. Yeah, there are definitely different uh, types of fat. Um, there's visceral, which is actually the um, fat that's kind of um, more around your organ systems, and those um, are more associated with uh, diabetes and inflammatory responses. Then you've got subcutaneous would be kind of your belly, um, which is actually where we get most of our tissue because we get tummy tucks and liposuctions. Um, then there's mammary adipose tissue, um, which is, a, is entirely different as well. And then there's even fat that's kind of in your bone marrow, and that behaves a lot differently. So there are all these uh, kind of different um, sections of adipose tissue that do respond very differently. Um, so, yeah, there's, hmm. they've okay. got their own kind of types. Yep. Oh, and then there's a type called brown to... fat. Oh, sorry, hmm. sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, tell me a little bit about brown fat. Go ahead. Yeah, so brown fat's a kind of interesting one um, because instead of kind of using the energy to kind of help the body, um, it burns the fat and creates heat. Uh, so it's really prevalent, you know, in like infants so they can have this kind of non-shivering thermogenesis is what it's called. Um, and so we have really small amounts of it in adults, uh, but people in kind of colder climates will have more brown fat. Um, so it's, it's a completely different kind of adipose tissue. Yeah, I've read about cold exposure possibly could help increase the amount of brown fat in your body. Yeah, yeah. I think it's been a promising way people think of kind of losing weight kind of quickly. Um, so um, do you have any insight into, yeah, do you, do you have any insight into what happens when someone gets liposuction, for instance? I've heard it's like, you know, it's not a very safe procedure. It's like what, any insight into what's happening when then someone gets that? Well, so, so yeah, I'd, um I haven't studied anything related to this, um, but I, I've read a little bit about it. And, um, you know, it's it's interesting because it does decrease the weight really quickly and it kind of changes this whole microenvironment that we've been talking about really fast, right? It kind of takes it away. Um, and so how the body adapts to that um, could be good, could be bad. Um, in a lot of cases, these liposuctions actually do help because they decrease the weight um, and they've got a lot of extra fat other places that seems to be okay. Um, so I think I wouldn't necessarily say it's a bad thing. I just think we don't understand a lot of how the body actually recovers from from that and whether there are maybe certain people that would recover a lot better than others, for instance. Um, I'm sure that there are kind of some factors that we might be able to figure out that might predict that really well, um, but I don't think we're there yet. And I've, uh, I guess last thing, I'm just, you know, all these ideas coming into my head, but I've, I've talked to a number <laughs> of companies that are creating organoids, you know, they're like pseudo-organs, yeah. So I don't know if, if uh, that would be something where you would couple fat yeah, tissues. Excuse me, one second. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead. Okay. Sorry. I'll repeat. Um, yeah. So I've, I've spoken to a number of companies that are developing organoids, you know, heart organoids, kidney, et cetera. Would that be something that uh, you'd want to do where you take an organoid and put fat tissue around it and see how it interacts differently with different organs of the body? 
even if they're organized? I don't know if that would be helpful, but just an idea that I had. Yeah, yeah. So that's I think the best way to kind of describe what we're doing is creating organoids. Um, and so, yeah, that's the goal is to hopefully integrate these with um, different tissue systems. I mentioned like the, the liver and the pancreas, but certainly there are other tissue systems where there's this communication um, that would be really interesting. And I think that's the way that we're going to really learn how these tissues are communicating and figure out um, ways of kind of altering that communication when it is going down a disease state. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a big direction of where we'd like to go, and I think it's a really important one. Well, very good. So what, um, you know, last question. So what are some, I mean, you probably covered it, but any other surprising facts that you've learned about studying this tissue, that tissue? Um, I think, yeah, I guess I've probably talked a lot about it, but um, I think just really what fascinates me is how the highly variable um, kind of metabolic status that people have and trying to figure out really what, um what causes those changes and how we can use that to, you know, make people live healthier lives and, and have a more predictable metabolism. So um, I guess, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I think is exciting. And I'm hoping that we'll make some of those insights in the near future. All right. Well, very good. Well, what's the best way for people to, you know, either contact you or the lab to find out more to suggest collaboration, et cetera? Yeah. So they can uh, reach me by email probably is the best way. And then we could set up a time to chat. Um, so my email is rabbit, R-A-B-B-O-T-T, and that's at andrew.cmu.edu. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to talk to anyone who's interested in learning more. That's great. Well, Roslyn, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.